This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hello and welcome to the Farm Traveler Podcast. I'm your host, Trevor Williams. And today on the show, we're going to be learning a little bit more about dairy, specifically dairy farming here in the great state of Florida. You know, I'm a little bit partial to things in Florida. This state is really diverse in terms of not only, you know, the plethora of stuff you can do here, but also a lot of the agriculture and um, commodities that are grown here in the state. And one of the huge industries is the dairy industry here in Florida. And we're going to be interviewing Sutton Rucks from Milking Our Dairy in Okeechobee, Florida. So, If you're in Florida, you know the biggest lake in the state, Lake Okeechobee. And right above that, of course, is Okeechobee itself. And that is where Sutton is at. And he actually knows a friend of mine, Nathan Candler, and his wife, Joy, who Nathan and I were state officers here in Florida back in 2009. Um, Makes me feel really, really old. But um, that's a huge place for a lot of dairies and a lot of agriculture in the state of Florida. And so in our chat today, Sutton is going to tell me about his family farm, which is he is the fourth generation on that farm, which is really cool. And they started doing out a whole bunch of stuff, and they'll tell us how they eventually wound up um, with dairy cattle. And also something that I haven't really thought about, he'll tell us about kind of the impact that refrigeration had on dairies, especially back in the early days, back before they had it. I mean... Obviously, that's going to complicate things whenever you're milking cows and you're trying to get milk to consumers when you don't have refrigeration. So that's something that's, you know, wild. And luckily, we have that today. Um, And also kind of the impact that dairy has had in Florida and how back in about the 1980s, there were around 300 dairies in Florida, and now that's around 55. So quite a decline in the number of dairies in Florida, but we're still producing more milk than we were even with those 300 well i we're, we're producing more per cow than we were decades ago so we're being much more sustainable much more efficient and sutton will tell us more about how you know dairy farmers are doing 
more with less and how that includes things like technology, technology including antibiotics and how farmers use that to treat animals, to treat cows. And they do it in a very, very safe manner where they have huge checks and balances that they have to follow. Um, or else, you know, if trace amounts are found in a tanker truck, they have to buy the whole tanker truck and that tanker truck doesn't go to the store. So a lot of checks and balances that consumers don't really know about. So it's great to learn from that um, from Sutton. So this is great learning about Florida Dairy and his family farm. I will link everything below in the description of this podcast episode to check them out. And of course, if you enjoyed this episode, consider sharing it with a friend or family member. Maybe don't share it with somebody that's lactose intolerant for this episode. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Of course, you can do that too. All right. Anyway, I think you will enjoy this episode. And thanks so much for listening. Um, all right. So you're you're in Okeechobee, right? Correct. That's right. Yeah. So do you know, I can't remember his names, but I was friends with Nathan Candler, who was the FFA state officer. Oh, in, really? Yeah, 2009. Yeah. 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 I mean, he's you know, way younger than I am, of course, but his, uh, the ranch he grew up on or his family has actually used to border our, well, still does in a way border our property. So, uh, and, uh, he is married. His wife is actually, oh, that's Randy Burnham's, uh, yeah. cousin of mine's daughter. So anyway, no way. that's small fun. world. Small mm-hmm. world. That is small world. And, um, I'm sure you know about it. When, when we went down there, there's a barbecue restaurant that's got, um, I can't remember the name of it, but you know, it's got all the brands on the table. Do you know which one I'm talking about? Uh, yeah. Was that Cowboys? I think. Yeah. It was yeah. Cowboys. It was Cowboys. So he, he developed his own brand. Nathan did. And he showed me where it was. And unfortunately it was right up under the cash register. So nobody got to see it. <laughs> he was like it. the one brand that's under there is his right. and you can't see it, but okay. yeah. Well, Sutton, uh, super excited to chat with you here on the podcast. You are a dairy farmer here in Florida. I'm very I love talking about Florida agriculture. I'm up here in um, Panama City, Florida. And okay. so I know dairy farming is super important here in the state, especially South Florida. So kind of tell us kind of about your background and how milking our dairy got started. Okay, well, uh, we're going to go back uh, several generations, but my great grandfather moved to Florida. Uh, that would have been in the mid 1920s. Uh, my my grandfather soon came afterwards. He, he left some of the younger kids at home back in uh, Northern Alabama. Mm. I brought some of the older boys with him. Um, and anyway, you know, large families back in the twenties. Uh, so my grandfather made it to Florida sometime in the late twenties around the depression, uh, married my grandmother in the early thirties. Um, and, and they all started milking cows. They didn't own a dairy at the time, but they started milking on small farms in the Miami area. And so they put a little money together and built or didn't build rented a facility and back then you know if you milk 20 cows that was a, a pretty good size operation mm-hmm. because no refrigeration uh virtually it was all hand milking so uh him and my grandmother 1933 from the best we can tell started milking cows on their own in the dade county area uh, did that for several years uh moved to deerfield beach where they bought a piece of property and in, in around world war ii i think the war was pretty much at the end when they bought that property. So sometime mid late forties, milk cows there till the mid fifties. And, and my grandfather milked cows midnight and noon. That's what time he started. So Mm -hmm. he would get done about four 35 o'clock in the morning. So he could take the milk to the processor. You got to remember, I mean, 
no refrigeration, if, if, but maybe very little refrigeration, just with cool water. And, you know, water doesn't get real cold in Florida, especially <laughs> in the summertime. So, you know, that milk had to be taken to the processor quick, really quick. So that's why he milked it at midnight and noon. So he could take the milk first thing in the morning, take the milk last thing in the afternoon. Uh, by that time, uh, my dad was born. My, I had some uncles that were born in the late 30s. So by the late 40s, he had some, some extra labor running around to help him, help him do some things. And uh, anyway, they milked cows in the Deerfield Beach area until sometime in the mid 50s, 1955, 1956, and moved to Okeechobee. Uh, built a, went from a, about 180 cows in the forties, fifties to a pretty good size herd, 600 cows, hmm. five to 600 cows. And, and by that time they were supporting, you know, my, my grandmother and grandfather were living out of the business. I had my father, uh, two uncles, of course I wasn't born yet, but, uh, anyway, you know, they, they had four families living out of about five or 600 cows being, being milked twice a day, every day. Um, Anyway, you know, some expansion went on and uh, I came to the farm. Well, I grew up on the farm, the first farm that my grandmother and grandfather built. My dad and uncles, you know, worked on and, and soon after, you know, had some ownership in. And I graduated school in 1986 uh, and the farm that my wife and I farmed today, uh, he, my grandfather actually purchased that land in 1957, 1958 after the first purchase a land where the original farm was at in Okeechobee. So from 56 to 86, it was just used as a ranch. And then we, in the seventies, we converted it to what we called a heifer raising facility. Mm. We raised all of our, and it wasn't really a facility. It was just land raised all of our, a farm has to, a dairy farm has to have young animals coming back into production. And, and so these were called our replacement heifers. So it was used for replacement heifers. 1986, we converted that part of that land to a, a dairy farm that I still milk cows at today. And uh, lot, that's a lot of, lot of condensed history there. Um, anyway, you know, it's, it's, I'm fourth generation when you count my great grandfather moving to Florida and working on a farm, you know, some farms in the Miami area in the, in the late twenties, mid twenties. And uh, you know, I have two, two adult children that, that are actually working in the business um, you know, we have a little broader swath than what we did. We, we do multiple things now. We have beef cattle. It's all ag-related, but we have mm -hmm. beef cattle operation. Um, we do our own ice cream and milk. Uh, we started that uh, around 1920, <laughs> 2020. <laughs> uh, it was COVID sort of pushed us to try that. So we were private labeling uh, our ice cream and milk now in South Florida. Yeah, that's a lot of history. And I mean, that's awesome that you guys started doing milk and ice cream because, I mean, your grandparents and great grandparents probably couldn't do that with no refrigeration. I mean, well, and, and you know, and I, refrigeration did come into play. But, you know, in the 40s, when they started their business, it was not a, you know, was not an option. Uh, you know, it's probably 19. Uh, I think my grandfather put a put a milk tank in in the in the 50s. So sometime in the mid late 50s, when he built this facility up here, you know, the technology was there that you could cool the milk on the farm and then a truck could come in and pick it up instead of taking it to town or taking it to the processor in 10 gallon, 10 gallon cans, the way it was done to, you know, prior hundred plus years, probably. So. Yeah. I'm sure that was game changing. I mean, I haven't really thought about kind of the history of, of dairy and how, you know, we didn't have refrigeration a long yeah. time ago. And I'm sure that that just kind of changed how they did their operation, you know, like doing it 
not as early or not as late and just kind of having that, you know, you can sit on the milk for a little bit longer instead of having to rush it out. Exactly. Now with refrigeration, you know, uh, the government or the state or whatever, the regulate regulatory agencies, they allow you 72 hours before that milk needs to be processed. I mean, that's not our goal. I mean, we want our milk out of here. As soon as we have a tanker load of milk, we want to, you know, be sending it to the processor to be processed. But, you know, yes. You know, I never thought about that either, you know, as a, as a producer, really, you know, in the started in the late, you know, 1980s, mid 1980s, you know, when you, that's yeah, uh it's a critical part of, <laughs> of, of milk, you know, you know, being able to keep it cool, you know, and because it's such a perishable product. So, oh yeah. And so that 72 hours that it can stay there, is that more along the lines of like health safety or just kind of letting it stay fresher longer whenever it goes through a grocery store? Fresher, fresher longer. I mean, it, it's a, to me, I don't know that answer 100%, but my thoughts as a farmer would be, you know, we want that product to have the longest shelf life, as a, even as a farmer, that it possibly can. So we don't want it sitting in our tank too long. So we're eating, I should say eating up, we're, we're taking those days away from, you know, from after it's pasteurized and homogenized to be on the shelf for the, for the consumer. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So, I mean, give us a little breakdown of Florida dairy. I love learning more about just kind of Florida dairy as a whole. I mean, there's a lot of dairy farms in Florida. I know yeah. one of the biggest purchasers of, of dairy is Publix, like supermarket, right? Correct. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, we when I started this journey, uh, 19 in the mid 80s, believe it or not, there was over 300 dairies in the state of Florida. Oh, wow. Uh, Today, I think we're down to 55 farms and 35 mm. owners. So really? just like everything else, you know, we've, we've consolidated, we've, you know, our farms have grown, you know, cow wise, we milk more cows on individual farms now, uh, just the law of economics, you know, and my, when I first started the company, we first started a conversation, my, my grandparents could make a decent living milking 20 head of cows, mm -hmm. you know, but you know, the way things cost these days are input costs. I mean, you, you got to be in the thousand, thousand plus cows to be able to, you know, when I first started, you could buy the 150 horsepower tractor for $40,000. And I was happened to look this weekend and that same tractor, you know, is pushing 200, 200,000. So, and, you know, it's just, our margins are really tight. And, and, and so you just have, you know, we try to have volume, uh, volumes. I mean, we're a small margin business, but larger that we live off of volume so yeah so economic side yeah and kind of comparing like the 300 dairies in the early 1980s to the 55 farms now like are they still producing around the same amount or what's that productivity yeah, look like honestly we are you know we're producing around the same amount of milk maybe a tick less yeah i say a little a little bit less but uh cows have become we as farmers uh technology uh just learning about how to take care of cows better. I mean, my goal is every day to learn something new that we can, you know, we can improve our animal husbandry. Um, you know, I, I was at a meeting this past weekend uh, with some really, you know, comp large companies that, that, you know, some types of feed ingredients that just, you know, uh, probiotics. We use a lot of probiotics on the farm and, and probiotics and, and uh, just to, you know, keep those cows healthy and, and the technology that we've, have been giving, you know, uh, I, I have a little saying when we do a, a tour, not a saying, but a, a description, we do a tour on our farm. I have a 10 gallon stainless steel can and it's just, you know, it's just an old milk can that sits there. And you know, my grandfather, when he milked cows, took five cows to fill that can full, about two gallons a cow. 
And now our production on the farms in Florida, our farm and the farms in Florida takes takes one cow. Some farms takes less than one cow to fill that that ten gallon can of milk. And and that's you know that's how our our industries progressed, and, and that's why fifty five dairies can produce the same amount of milk as three hundred and what you know three hundred plus. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know of another industry where the phrase "doing more with less" is more valid than with agriculture. I mean, you know, you know if if you're a row crop <laughs> farmer, dairy farmer, I mean, just doing less with more inputs is, or doing less with fewer inputs and stuff is amazing. Right, right, yep. and that's you know, agriculture. You know, we we I don't mean this in a negative way. You know, sustainability. It it was a word that we never thought about. I mean, we did that. We did that naturally. Mm-hmm. You know, to survive and to stay in business and and uh you know we you know i'm not saying anything against my my elders but you know back 50 years ago you just put your head down and work super super hard and and things you know you you made you the harder you work you still you know you made money i just said not, not a lot of money but you you know you made a living and and uh, now it's you better be you're paying attention to the business side of it so i mean that you're talking about the the less inputs, I get my, I'm going to get that mixed up, but you know, more is less or less is more. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, and it's so funny how you're, I mean, you're talking about sustainability. I mean, do you see that as like kind of a current market trend where, you know, maybe five or six years ago, it was consumers wanted organic milk, organic raised milk, but now they want kind of sustainably raised milk. So do you kind of see that as a market trend? Um, you know, I, I feel like, we, you know, we as farmers, like I said earlier, we've done all that already. You mm-hmm. know, we just got to figure out how to put it in a story to, to help sell our product. But, you know, we're we're we just never we never marketed the, the sustainable side of our business. But, you know, we're we're already there. And, and, you know, the organic side, you know, we are we're a conventional dairy. And I don't want to touch on that. I just would like to touch on that just a, just a little bit. And and. I, I would never per se want my farm to be an organic farm because, you know, we've been given the, the luxury to use, to have a toolbox there. If we have a cow that gets sick or an issue with an animal that, that we can give that cow a shot of, of an antibiotic is not a bad word. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you want to use it responsibly. Uh, when that cow, when a cow is treated, she goes into a segregated pen that that milk does not get sold, whatever the withdrawal day, if it's, or if it's 48 hours or 96 hours or seven days, you know, that milk is never, never presented for human consumption. We, we you know, we dump that milk down the drain. And, and I try, I try to tell that when we do a tour at our farm is, you know, we, we would, even if the economic side was, was plus, 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 you know, we want to be able to keep, keep that toolbox to to be able to take care of our cows and it comes and i'm not saying organic farms don't take care of cows but we just don't have that luxury that you know we we need to be able to use that antibiotic and when we when is needed yeah that's something i try to tell a lot of consumers whenever you know they have a lot of questions about antibiotics and milk and all that stuff i'm like well when a cow is sick there is a process that they have to go through if they're given antibiotics because that milk is tested and it it doesn't go back into production or like collected into like the big tank until it has absolutely no antibiotic residue. And I mean, if the truck came and picked up your milk and if if it had like trace amounts of antibiotics, like you don't you have to buy the whole oh, tanker of that? <laughs> that's a bad day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't uh, I'm scared of uh, three agencies that our government has. <laughs> uh, 
FDA probably being number one, IRS being number two, and EPA being number three. So <laughs> that's what I, you know, we don't, a farmer does not want that to happen. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's so many checks and balances in place to make sure the product is healthy. And also, I mean, for you guys to make sure that the cow's healthy and that the cow's healthy, it's going to produce healthy milk. And I mean, that's something that I think slowly but surely more consumers are like learning about that. I mean, like you said, antibiotics is not a bad word. Like it's something that we have. It's in the toolbox to help cows be healthy and produce healthy milk. Correct. That's you hit the nail on the head. Perfect. Well, good. Thank you. Um, so let's talk about the tourism a little bit more. You guys do a lot of farm tours, which I think is huge. Like what was, what was the idea behind that? And then what are the tours like? Uh, you know, we, uh, we'd always done some school tours, stuff like that. And, and, uh, actually had a group, uh, just a quick little story. Uh, it was a group of, uh, farm bureau, young farm bureau folks out of Martin County, which is the County that borders us to the East. Hmm. Uh, so there, you know, it's, it's on the ocean and, and, uh, anyway, we, we did a group group here and, and, um, we didn't, you know, we'd had no, in our, in our, in our tour areas kind of even still kind of small, but we all met in our office and, you know, I gave a little presentation about the farm and, uh, we got done and, and people were, Hey, you have a hat you can sell me. I want to buy a t-shirt. And I'm like, you know, I'm a dairy farmer. I've never sold a hat or a t-shirt in my life. And you know, just, <laughs> It sounds crazy, but it just make your mind, you know, you, you start thinking about it. And, 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 um, so we, we devoted, you know, a little bit of money and a little bit of attention to, to, uh, to start that up and, and some social media blast. And, and before long, I mean, we were, we, we, we were booked, you know, four or five days a week doing, doing tours anywhere from six or eight people to, you know, school groups. And, and, uh, and, you know, we, Farmers have a tough time charging for something like that, but, you know, we had quite a bit of money invested and it's not a huge charge, but, you know, we charge for the tours and, and uh, so, you know, that really, really got traction, really started going and, and, uh, and they did kind of, they did slow up quite a bit when COVID hit and that's kind of what pushed us into doing, well, that was another thing, Uh, you know, people would ask, where can I buy your product? And, and, well, it goes in a big tank and it usually goes to Publix or it goes to whatever milk plant, but you know, you're never going to find a, a dairy product with, with our family name on it. And, and, you know, got to start thinking again. And the easiest, fastest thing to do was to buy some machinery to make ice cream. Mm. So that's when we, we, we started making ice cream then. So part of the tour, you know, six, eight months down the road, when we started doing tours is, you know, you, you got to, you got a half pint of ice cream when you got done with the tour to enjoy on the farm. And, and, uh, then we started making a few pints that people, people wanted to take home. And, and anyway, the rest is, the rest is kind of history. Uh, we did get a little nervous though, you know, 2020 spring of 20, we had a, I'm talking, my daughter kept saying a boatload of tours, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, booked and we all know what happened. And, and, uh, that's kind of when we shifted gears, Oh, uh, our farm, our farm is actually open three days a week, uh, where, where our ice cream area or our tour area is at. We, we have customers come in three days, actually three and a half days a week. Cause now we're open on Sunday afternoon. Uh, people come in and, you know, buy ice cream. We got a little playground area for the kids and, you know, a quasi petting zoo. Cause you know, we have calves and cows and goats and, and stuff like that. So it kind of gives the people, I mean, we don't do tours of the farm, but they're able to come into the farm and get a gist and idea, you know, kids can see the tractors going by stuff like that. Cause it is an operating dairy farm, of course. So. 
Yeah, that's awesome how, I mean, that interest in, you know, your farm cascaded into having some merch like hats and t-shirts and stuff and then eventually ice cream. So all that stuff kind of happened because people wanted to learn more about your farm. That's awesome. Yep, yep. And, and, you know, it's... People duplicate this all over the world. And, and I had a, well, the country, I had a good friend. Um, they, they do the same thing in New York. I mean, they, they, and, and probably quite a bit larger scale than we do, you know, uh, they have a pavilion where they can do even weddings and parties and whatnot. We, we have a, a pavilion. We can do a, a you know, a, a small birthday party for, yeah. for a small, you know, a small guy, you know, five to 10 or something like that, but that's about it. And, you know, we do, We'll probably have two or three birthday parties a weekend, you know, come out and use our playground and, you know, set up underneath a pavilion that we have set up for that. And, and uh, yeah, I just, this is my home too. I mean, I live right here and, and I just never thought in a hundred years people would want to come out and purchase ice cream or milk and, and, you know, come and let their kids play on a playground at a dairy farm. But uh, needless to say, it, it amazes me every weekend. I look out my window or if I'm, you know, on the tractor at the farm or the truck and there's, you know, 50 to a hundred cars in our parking lot. So it's kind of, kind of amazing. So. Yeah, I bet that's awesome. And I mean, I'm sure that that's so cool to kind of see, you know, people want to check out your family legacy and the dairy and just kind of learn more about it and want to be, I don't know, kind of like a more active part in learning where their food comes from, going out there and meeting the people that do it. And I'm sure that that's, you know, cool to find, because I feel like farmers don't get the recognition that they deserve. And I feel like it's cool that that's kind of slowly coming around as people visit more and more farms. You know, and in the days that I'm here, I mean, we we have my wife and I, we do a lot of farmers markets, too. So but on Saturday, I you know, I of course, you can see the way I ramble on this podcast. I love to talk and one on one. You put me in front of 50 people. my I'd probably pass out and have a heart attack <laughs> um, anyway. But, uh, you know, just to interact with the people and answer the questions. And, you know, hey, where are you from? Well, we, you know, we live in Delray Beach and you know, we found you online. We had to go over to Tampa this weekend. We just wanted to stop by and check it out. And, you know, just, you know, it's, I can't, I could tell you 500 stories like that. And, you know, and, and, you know, I have a few questions about the cows and the, and the business and the family. And, and, and that's, that's part of our goal. I mean, we want to be able to educate whoever wants to hear our story. You know, we want to, we want to be able to tell it. And, and, and uh, you know, we as farmers, we're so darn busy just doing the day-to-day grind to, to take care of our animals that, you know, it's, it's, yes, it is one, another job, but, but, you know, uh, it's almost my hobby now to, you know, I, I tell people it's crazy and I don't, I'm not a fisherman. I'm not a hunter. I mean, I'm pretty happy hooking up to my concession trailer and going to a farmer's market and selling ice cream and talking to the public. So <laughs> sounds kind of crazy, but I enjoy it. So, well, Hey, I mean, if you like what you do, you never work a day in your life. That's right. right. That's right, brother. You got it. <laughs> That's awesome. So, I mean, stuff like this, like, especially like the tourism and people wanting like ice cream and hats and merch and stuff like that. Do you see that as kind of like a post pandemic thing where people, you know, were tired of being locked up for so long now they want to go out and just explore? Yeah. I mean, we, we saw a huge, huge surge and, and I never, uh, my, my, my daughter, you know, she's, she set all this up. I mean, we, during pandemic, we sold ice cream, uh, how I want to say, uh, she posted everything online. Mm -hmm. So you had to buy, you had to purchase ice cream from our website online. And 
I'm pretty sure everyone that's asked me, I've told them this, so this is no secret The people that bought our ice cream. When they bought the ice cream and paid for the ice cream, we didn't have the ice cream in our cooler. You know, we were making it to order. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, whatever she posted on Monday night or Tuesday night, you know, we had it for pickup on just to pick up. No one could stay at the farm, just come out, you know, walk. We had a open air barn, you know, walk underneath the barn, get your two pints of ice cream, 10 pints of ice cream, whatever you ordered. And, and I think, you know, not that it was, it was something for people to do, you know, no mm -hmm. one knew what was happening during that first few weeks of the pandemic. So it was, you know, almost, I wouldn't call it a game, but people enjoyed trying to get the ice cream flavors and we were kind of a new launch and uh, you know, it was, it was amazing and it still is, but you know, then we were able to open up more like a business and, and uh, you know, people, people would come out and stand in line, you know, 45 minutes to an hour to get, to get their ice cream, which I'm personally, I'm not, I have no patience, so I would not stand <laughs> in line for 45 minutes for, for ice cream, but you know, uh, we make some really unique flavors. My daughter, uh, she's not culinary skilled by no means, but you know, she power of the internet, she's figured out a way to, you know, make a lot of neat flavors of ice cream. And, and we really try to use, we use a very high quality product for our base to make her ice cream and, and, uh, and uh, try you know we just want, we want to be a premium local ice cream product and and uh, but it's it's still amazing to me we had a got a small fundraiser out here at the farm for a school here last uh, well yesterday yesterday afternoon and you know just the way the community came out and supported us and the the school here in town the fourth it was the fourth grade fourth grade school in our town our elementary school in our town so for the fourth graders. Oh, that's awesome. And I mean, I bet it's got to be good ice cream to wait 45 minutes for it. I yeah, mean, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> pretty, pretty good. I, I'm not gonna <laughs> let, let uh, I don't want to, I don't want to over, I don't want to oversell. So, <laughs> so I mean, during during the pandemic, before y'all started making ice cream, I mean, did you have issues? Because I know there's like a huge dairy shortage, like during the pandemic, because of grocery stores and um, like restaurants and stuff. So was that did you have excess dairy that you needed to figure out like, Hey, let's make another product or, or what went on there? Well, I mean, to a degree. Yes. Uh, I don't want to, I'm trying to, yeah. I mean, a lot of, I just think, you know, it was the unknowns that we mm. just the whole country was up against and, you know, uh, people going in stores over buying and, and, and I was, we were not, we were making some ice cream then, but we weren't bottling in our milk at the time. And that was another thing that, I shouldn't say pushed us, but led us to want to bottle our own milk. And, you know, when you're on the outside looking in, you think you have all the answers, but, you know, I've been in the trenches now doing our own milk for a year and a half, two years. And, and uh, yes, those supply train disruptions are real. And, and uh, you know, uh, we have a 21 day shelf life on our milk. And, and I said, man, 21 days, three weeks, that's a long time. But I mean, that's like two and a half hours now, it seems like, you know, <laughs> I don't mean that crazy, but it just, you know, it, it's quick, you know, to try to try to sell your milk and get it, you know, get it to people and in, in coffee shop stores, whatever. So, uh, but no, it, we did not personally get affected. I mean, the industry did, but it was just, you know, it was just one of those sad situations that, that, you know, it was, it was something new with the disruption, the, the shift, you know, with restaurants closing and, and the shift to the grocery stores, you know, a lot of that product was already in production or in, in play to go to, you know, to all the restaurants that virtually, you know, that came to a screeching halt for ever how many months. I can't even remember. It seemed like that long ago, but, 
But, and, you know, then the, the consumer purchasing changed, you know, in stores, people, st- people did start buying more milk and, and uh, that trend is still, it's off a little bit, but the trend is still there also. So. I bet. Yeah. And I mean, it sounds like you guys are setting yourself up for success. I mean, by kind of diversifying a little bit, like you're still sending it off to get bottled, you're bottling it yourself and you're making ice cream. So you've got, you know, a couple of revenue streams, which is awesome. If something like this ever happens again, or if there's like a huge supply chain issue. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's our goal. I mean, we, we want to become a, you know, we're very, very small scale now. I mean, I have a saying, you got to crawl before you walk and Mm. we're still, we're still learning how to crawl in, in the ice cream and milk business, but you know, and, and we wouldn't be doing what we're doing. I mean, we, we feel like we really don't get me wrong. Every day we learn something new on our farm with our cows, but you know, we feel pretty, pretty pleased. Uh, with our staff, uh, my son's involved in the business. You know, we have very good milk quality when it comes to the quality of our milk, and that's that's why we wanted to put our name. You know, when you put your name on the bottle, it's it's a game changer. You know, it, it's oh yeah, with you. So, uh, you know, it it. I trust me. I I don't lose any sleep, but I think about that a lot. So I bet. I mean, you're not only representing like yourself and your family, but you know, you've got four different generations that are being represented. So, I mean, don't put any the, pressure on me. Holy. Moly. Oh yeah. Right. <laughs> Which I'm sure. Yeah. That's, That's so funny. <laughs> and I mean, speaking of that, you were kind of talking about, um, you know, learning something new every day. I love it when people learn about all the technology that there is in dairy farming. I mean, there's things like I've seen like robot milkers, the, yeah. you know, where the, the, the cow walks in there and the robot milks it by itself. Like there's so much technology that people don't really know about. And so what are some cool bits of technology that you are aware of that, you know, the average consumer might not know about when it comes to dairy. Okay. Um, well, we're in the process. We're about 80% complete. We're building a, a rotary milking parlor on our farm right now. Uh, and, a, and a rotary um, picture, uh, it doesn't turn as fast as the carousel at the, at the fair, but <laughs> cows would walk on it and, and it's going to turn real slow. So, you know, our, our, our team that works with us, you know, uh, the cows are going to come to them instead of our team having to, they have to be at a certain point, but when they ride the rotary, there'll be certain steps that are done on the rotary as mm-hmm. we're, as we're milking. So uh, going to be dairy is hard. I mean, dairy work is very hard work. It's a physical job. Uh, but anyway, this, this should make it a lot easier uh, for, for our team. And then, you know, we do, on our farm right now, we don't have it on all cows, but most, some of our cows have a pedometer on their legs. So we're knowing how many steps they're walking. Uh, some of our cows we have with collars. Uh, we know how long she lays. We know how, how, how many times a day she's, I mean, they ruminate all the time, but, but you know, the rumination time, the rumination phase, um, there's, there's countless, and that's just the, the technology that you can strap on a cow, you know, that she can wear and give you information to tell you about her. And then, you know, when it comes to, uh, we have misters in our barns that keep cows cool. That's all, I mean, it's, it's pretty basic stuff, but that's all temperature controlled. Uh, even if the wind blows a certain miles an hour, the fans turn off, Mm. the misters turn off, uh, the way you cool cows in South Florida or in Florida or more humid environments, you have to wet the cow. Uh, her air conditioning is making her skin wet and then blow in about eight miles an hour of wind across her back. So cows don't sweat. You're all, it's called evaporative cooling. Mm. So, you know, 
if the wind's blowing 25 outside, there's no need for our fans to be blowing eight miles an hour, eight, 10 miles an hour in the barn. So we just, you know, we have, we have sensors on that to turn the fans off, you know, countless we've, we've not been involved in one yet. We're, we're, we're entertaining. Uh, we would love to do a, a methane digester hmm. to, to actually create, we're not going to create power. We're going to, we're going to, they're going to clean that methane gas and inject that back into the line that would, you know, create power to cool, cool. I was going to say heat homes, but we don't need to heat homes in South Florida. Cool, <laughs> yeah. Cool it's hot in, all year round. <laughs> cool homes in South Florida. So that's funny. And speaking of South Florida, um, do y'all have a lot of iguanas in Okeechobee? Not in Okeechobee. Uh, probably they really start about 30. Well, I see them a lot when I'm in West Palm Beach. So, okay. Yeah. My uh, uncle lives in Fort Lauderdale. But uh, you see more, you see them on the side of the road in, in that West Palm Beach area a lot, quite a bit. So That makes sense. Yeah, I, I visited my uncle. He lives like right on the border of Fort Lauderdale in Miami. And he's always telling me, you know, the one time a year it freezes down there, everybody's <laughs> going down there with their phones, just recording the iguanas falling from the trees. Falling out of the trees, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's wild. Um, well, Sutton, this has been awesome learning about milking our dairy. Best yet, if people are in Okeechobee, if they're in South Florida and they want to visit you guys, get some ice cream, um, what's the best way to do that? And what's the best way to learn more about you guys? Uh, we, have a, we have a website, uh, suttonmilk.com or milkinourdairy.com. And then also, uh, you know, pretty, my, my, kid, my daughter gets, I said my kid, my daughter gets mad when I say this, but uh, we have Facebook and Instagram. So she really tries to keep, she does more with the, uh, social media than she mm. does, you know, changing things on our, on our, on our, uh, I lost my train of thought on our website, but, but, uh, I think it's Sutton, what Sutton milk on Facebook and milking our ice cream club on, on Facebook also. So we, we started the ice cream club before we started the milk. So that's why we have two separate Facebook pages or Instagram pages also. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of a day trip and we're trying to create a destination here for, for people to come and, you know, spend an hour or two as they're crossing, you know, from state to state, not state to state, but across the state, you know, from East coast to West coast and, and uh, you know, learn a little bit about agriculture and where your food comes from, because you know, that's one thing with not just our farm, but all the farms in the state of Florida, I mean, 85 plus percent of what's produced ends up in a gallon jug. So it ends up in a public shelf, you know, whomever grocery store you want to talk about, because mm -hmm. uh, we do have some independent bottlers that, you know, bottle and sell under private label or, or, you know, other store labels. So, you know, most every cow milked in the state of Florida, a far that farmer's milk ends up on a, on a shelf in, in, in somewhere in Florida. So. I got you. And always a, you know, a cool story to learn once you connect the dots and figure out where that milk came from, the family farm, the fourth generation, yeah. sometimes fifth or sixth generation farm. Yeah. And, you know, and we're, we're not anything unique. I mean, it's, it's, I have neighbors that, you know, are fourth and fifth generation too. And that's, you know, we would, the consumers need to understand that if you live in Florida, if you live in Maine, if you live in Colorado, most, most cows, 98 plus percent of the cows in this country are milked by families just like mine. So mm. I like that. That's a good percentage. Yeah. A lot of people, you know, you hear the term factory farm and they just yeah. think all dairy, all beef for all factory farms. And it's like these large corporations like, no, they're 98% are family owned and operated. And so yeah. you can yeah. have the comfort knowing that it's coming from a very hardworking family farm, often fourth, fifth, sometimes eighth or 10th generation, which is always cool. Yeah. Well, Sutton, thanks so much for being on. We'll link everything below in the description of this episode, but thanks so much for being on. 
um, and doing a great job representing Florida Dairy. So thanks so much. Okay, thank you, sir. Thanks so much for listening to episode 180 of the Farm Traveler podcast. If you are new here or if you are a returning listener, thank you so much for finding us. And of course, be sure to subscribe over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, or obviously wherever it's easiest for you to listen to. So thanks so much for listening. We have new episodes every week. We'll see you next week.